You're listening to The Lit Review, a podcast where organizers interview organizers about books. In this moment of urgency, mass political education is key. We recognize that political study is not always accessible for a variety of reasons. Our goal with The Lit Review is to be a resource that brings out key information from relevant books to the masses. Think Sparknotes in podcast form. I'm one of your hosts, Monica Trinidad, and thank you for listening to The Lit Review. On this episode, we'll be chatting with B. Lowe. Originally from the Maryland suburbs of D.C., B. was recruited into social justice work by his older sister and was a key organizer of the 2010 Detroit-based U.S. Social Forum. Uh, B. Lowe is currently Mijentes Communications Director and is an all-around amazing organizer and activist, contributing so much to grassroots efforts in Chicago. Um, we'll be talking with B. about rules for revolutionaries, how big organizing can change everything, by Becky Bond and Zach Exley, recently published in November of 2016. Hey there, welcome to the Lit Review. This is Paige. Uh, We have my good friend Bilo here talking about a book that you might have heard about. It came out very recently called Rules for Revolutionaries, How Big Organizing Can Change Everything. So welcome B. Thanks, how are you? I'm pretty good. Well, it was was a rough week. It sure was. Day six of Trump, so yeah. How are you? It's day six of Trump. (laughs) As long as you're moving, you're not stuck. Yeah. Um, Can you introduce yourself a little bit for our folks? Yeah, absolutely. My first name is B. My last name is Lo. I currently work for Mi Gente as their comms director. It's a national political formation for Latinx changemakers engaging in racial justice and gender justice and economic justice, saying that demographics don't mean destiny, and if growing numbers are going to mean growing power, then it's going to take a political edge to make that happen. Um, It's kind of the evolution for me of the past 13 years of migrant rights work that I've been doing, starting when I moved to Chicago in 2003. I came up in Silver Spring, Maryland, to an Italian, German, and Irish family, (laughs) good white liberal parents who taught me to share and treat people the way I want to be treated. And when I grew up, I didn't forget that. And that Mm -hmm. apparently makes you a radical. Mm. True, true. Well, can you tell us a little bit about who would like this book? Who Who would enjoy it? So I work for a national organization that's trying to create political home for individual change makers across the country. So I've spent the past year like doing very boring things like which tech platform will let us send emails the most efficient way. So this book is for me. Okay. This book is for people who want to think about how you make change and bring people into the movement in the most efficient way possible and unlock their kind of potential, their vision, and their greatest contribution. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's most relevant for folks who are trying to have this national picture organizing, mm-hmm. but there's definitely lessons for anyone who's trying to make change. Okay. And so it uses the language of big organizing. Yeah. Can you tell us what do they mean by that? Uh, yeah, because I hear, if you look at this book, just so folks, sometimes we drop the book so you can feel how heavy it is. It's, it's not a super thick book, but it is, it has, it's red, white, and blue. It's got stars on it. It looks very Americana. And I see that big organizing, and I think corporate organizing. But that's not what this book is about, as far as I understand it. So can you talk a little bit about Yeah, what it's they not mean? big as in corporate. I think there's two pieces to it. It's rules for revolutionaries, mm-hmm. and it's big organizing, right? Early on, they say big organizing is how we create campaigns that allow people to work together to realize their dreams for a more just world. And this is their specific lessons from the Bernie Sanders campaign. And their little piece of the campaign was 
the volunteer operation, knowing that they were, were not going to have the money that Hillary Clinton had, mm -hmm. and knowing that they weren't going to have the establishment infrastructure that the DNC offered to the Clinton campaign, mm -hmm. how would a uh, upstart underdog candidate create the infrastructure and groundswell that we saw with the Sanders campaign um, without those things? Okay, yeah, can you talk about that? Like, what is it that they're, how, there's, there's so many books about organizing. Like, what is the intervention specifically of this book yeah. into that landscape of organizing books? So I'll be real. I texted the author to say, I'm really surprised at how much time you spent on structure and mm -hmm. process and tech tools. It's way nerdier than I thought it would be. <laughs> um, so if you're someone who leans on the digital nerdy side, this mm -hmm. book will be a treat for you. Mm -hmm. If you're someone who you can't have any patience for it and you just want someone to show you how to make the thingy work, um, you might want to read the first and last chapter, Got you it. know? But what they're trying to do with big organizing and rules for revolutionaries, there's obviously, Saul Alinsky was a Chicago organizer mm -hmm. in the earlier part of the 20th century now, um, who, who piloted this this tendency of organizing that these authors would say is paternalistic. Mm -hmm. It says that an outside organizer comes into a community and through deliberate one-on-one -on -one interaction brings those people together around whatever issue they decide they care about. Mm -hmm. And so you see, you see this legacy here in Chicago in yeah. deep ways where neighborhood associations have organized maybe 30 years ago to get young, young kids of color off the block by calling the police because the members of their organization were actually homeowners. Mm -hmm. um, it's what Miles Horton from the Highlander Center would critique saying, I don't want to organize a housing co-op if it's going to end up all white. I don't want to organize a campaign against the banks if people don't know the economic system that they're a part of. Yeah. Um, so they're trying to interrupt both the smallness of the scale that Alinsky organizing allows through that deep one-to-one -one relationship where it's organizer to member, organizer to member, yes. and also the smallness of the vision that they would critique saying that if you only train people to have small victories, that actually doesn't build to larger victories. You just have people who are really good at winning small things. Mm. So they're trying to interrupt that. And then on the other side, they're coming from an electoral campaign. And so the, I guess the, common practice or the best knowledge with electoral work these days, the way it works. And I'm coming from a community organizing right. side. I don't, I'm new to electoral work too. Mm -hmm. But I guess what they do is that they work on micro-targeting. So they'll take the electoral map of voters and they'll split it and split it and split it and split it. And then they'll say, okay, this 40% of the field is already with us. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to focus on them that 40% of the field is already with our opponent. So we don't have to focus on them. What we're actually trying to do is convince these tiny slice of people in the middle to swing, to swing yeah. our way, mm -hmm. right? And then we spend all of our energy literally on several thousand people. And, you know, they have the databases and all that to figure out who those people are. Mm -hmm. But what happens in that process is, one, you ignore your base. But then, two, similar to the smallness of vision is by appealing to just this quote-unquote swing voter, you're not presenting a big vision for the country. You're not meeting those solutions as big as the problems. And so when you get into office, if you are able to win, you're in this position where you can't go big mm -hmm. and where you can't do the inspiring things that 
the times actually require of you because it would then alienate the people who you spend your whole time electing. Can you think of an example that you could offer of big organizing that's not an electoral campaign? Like what equivalent might people be able to imagine? Would you argue Black Lives Matter is trying to accomplish something like that? Well, so I think that there's a couple examples in the community organizing realm. Mm -hmm. I think they admit that volunteer engagement for an electoral campaign is probably the easiest structure or example to look at because it's so cut and dry. What do we need you to do? We need you to cut contact voters to do what? To turn out to vote for who? To elect this president. Why? For that person's agenda. When? On election day. And then it's over. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So when you're recruiting volunteers, there's already what they would call a, a rinse and repeat role that they can play. Something that's a simple task that has deep meaning and real impact that's just repeatable. Mm -hmm. um, I think when you get into social movements and when you get into community organizing, it gets a lot more complex. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Like, how do you stop police violence in Chicago? that's not as easy as organizing a phone bank. Right. Yeah? Okay. Um, but I think, similarly, the idea that we're fighting for our lives, mm -hmm. in the Not One More campaign, the anti-deportation campaign that we ran, you know, you had undocumented people, some of whom had criminal records who would have made them top priority for removal, locking their necks to the gates of immigration offices, taking the risk of never seeing their own children again. And why? Two reasons. One, they thought that it was time to lose their fear. They thought it was time to make a change. They thought the time was possible, and they had confidence in their community to keep them safe. They saw other people taking those risks and felt that they could take them themselves because they've seen people take them and succeed. Mm -hmm. um, and not one more was an aspirational goal. Yeah, mm -hmm. the campaign was really critiqued. What do you mean, not one more deportation? Like, really, not one more? And it's like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Zero. Like, mm -hmm. not one more. But that's never going to happen. Okay, well, what is going to happen? Because that's our North Star. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Yes. And so it was a demand that people could get behind because it wasn't, well, we want this policy piece of legislation that's too technical for me to explain to you and is actually only going to help you a little bit, but you should really volunteer a lot of time for mm -hmm. it. Yeah? Yeah. Um, and I think, like you're saying, with Black Lives Matter as a movement, um, similarly, it's the it's the relevancy of black life again. It's the defense of black life in the face of such violent white supremacy in this country. Mm -hmm. I think the intervention that these authors would make on our movements would be, but are you catching people and are you giving them continuous roles for them to actually take on and play a leadership role in your movements? And then really the rest of this book is talking about the structures and processes that they used to make it so that people who wanted to could volunteer. And so the book is kind of the story of them chasing the, the tech and the structure and the processes that they needed to be able to answer that question and say, here you go. Mm -hmm. Are there major lessons that we can learn and, and to apply maybe without maybe necessarily the exact programs, but what was the general, was there a formula, I guess is what I'm asking, or a, 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 set, a process? Yeah, and I think that there's some super nerdy things that if you're creating a national network or trying to, quote unquote, go to scale in that way, you should read in depth. Yeah. And so they tell a story of this phone dialer that they're trying to build because what they had happening was if you wanted to make phone calls to a Bernie supporter or potential Bernie supporter, you'd sit there with this paper list. And many people who have worked on electoral campaigns will have had this experience 
where you sit there, you call, it's a wrong number, you call, it's an answering machine, you call, you finally talk to one person, but it's actually the person's daughter and they're not home. And at the end of an hour, maybe you've talked to one or two people. That's where the political will that someone has and the actual impact that you're offering them as a role in the campaign have a mismatch, yeah? Yeah. And so they found a debt collection company that had a dialer system where you could call people's cell phones, which was one of the barriers that I guess the other technologies had where you could only call landlines. Interesting. And so they basically figured out what platform this company was using, usually to like repro people's cars or call them and harass them about student debt, which mm -hmm. is the irony because this is the Bernie campaign. And they hacked it together to be something that volunteers could use. And instead of calling one or two people an hour, they're calling 20 to 30 to 40 people an hour. But I guess it was like the ugliest thing. It was hard to use. And it was pretty much just like, you know, like Microsoft Windows 1998 mm. or something, mm -hmm. like counterintuitive mm -hmm. for the user, yeah. Yes. But don't let the perfect be the opposite of the big. They had a phone bank coming up in three days. They had a plan for how this thing could get used in a month. And they said, we're, we're dropping it, we're gonna make it used. And then they figured out the bugs along the way. Okay. And so I think our, our little corner of the left has that definitely in terms of like theory mm -hmm. and whether you know how to say the right thing, but they also offer it as, it's not that you have to be perfect, it's right. you have to be moving okay. and we'll figure it out as we go. Yes. Um, so I guess for the, the OCD people or the everything has to be done, like this book is for Virgos. <laughs> this is for the person who's gonna create your spreadsheet yes <laughs> this is gonna be for the person who like wants the white out on this section of their desk um, but what they offer is is this kind of model of the solution when things get too ungainly is you create formal roles so when we get moving it's gonna be the four of us we're gonna recruit three more people and then when the task gets confusing okay, you're gonna be the text monitor, and I'm gonna give you a title that's meaningful, even though it's specific and small, mm -hmm. but you're gonna own it, and you're gonna make a real contribution. And then when that team gets too, too big, unwieldy, that means that there needs to be a tech monitor captain. Um, and so it was just this iterative process, this like, they built it as they went, also because they didn't have time, right? Which is one of their lessons at the end of the book of, you can have so many people who want to get involved, and if you have the systems in place, you can get them involved in an instant. They literally had, over the course of the campaign, more than 100,000 people sign into this dialer thing that they had to make phone calls. Um, but the lesson that they have is that it probably could have been three times that or four times that if they had had these systems in place in the beginning. <laughs> so this dialer thing allowed people from all across the country to call in to the strategic locations before they didn't have meaningful roles to play. Like, mm -hmm. your primary is in June, so what are you going to do in California? You're just going to stand on a street corner with a sign? That's not what we need you to do, right? Yes. So then on the local level, they say, you could load up the Sada's daughter's phone banking list. Maybe it's 200 people. Mm -hmm. You'll get through that in 15 minutes instead of five hours. Yep. And then if you want to do that on a larger campaign on the municipal level, it just moves it super quick. So part of what I learned from the book and then also talking to friends who actually worked the Clinton campaign, like there's actually automation that we can do in what we understand as organizing. And like any other worker, like there's the fear of automation replacing you. 
or it can be the thing that augments what you do and makes you do your job better. So yeah, I'm hearing a kind of um, something that's interesting to me because usually when I hear about it, it reminds me of digital organizing mm -hmm. in a way that makes me reimagine what are your relationships with the people on the other side of the mm. computers, right? And it's and it's it's not just about managing these like numbers and contacts, right, and building up a database. There's there's also a kind of through this technology we're building up people's leadership. Yeah, uh, and and that I think is really interesting. I don't the few things I've read about digital organizing strategy, I, I don't think have found that that recipe of like how do you organize people though, right? Um, and not just a, a contact list. And earlier you were talking about how there, you don't want to let the perfect sort of become the opponent mm -hmm. or the enemy, right, of the big. And you focused on technology, but there's also a tone of, like, people aren't perfect either, right? Mm -hmm. And they make mistakes and they don't, it, it, they don't maybe know all the dope language that we have, mm -hmm. right? Or they don't have the same plan. Is, does it talk about room for folks to propose plans, uh, to develop their own political analysis? Does it speak to that at all? Or is it mostly just about putting people to work? Well, they say that when you're creating a volunteer team, like the way they built their teams was they got, they got permission to use a section of Bernie's list, the people who had sent them in their email, yeah? Mm -hmm. And they would say, we're doing a call for people who want to volunteer in three hours. Who can get on? Mm -hmm. And out of 100 people, they get 10 people on the phone. And they did it on that short time period purposely because if you could get on a call in three hours, it meant that you have time and you're flexible and you can offer more, then, okay, we're going to do a call in seven days, et cetera. Um, and they say that in that recruiting process, you don't want to recruit the people who want to lead because of our, our concept of leadership, right? It's the person who's in the front talking. It's the person telling people what to do. You want to recruit the people who are going to get to work. Mm -hmm. So they don't talk about political education. They don't talk about um, how you develop revolutionaries. The argument they're actually going to make is that the people newest to the movement tend to have the best politics mm. and are actually ready. Mm. And so what I like about this, one of, the, one of the authors was a union organizer back in the day. And so he talks about just getting on the phone with people and doing phone time. And this is one of the things they say about online organizing is that it stopped being about organizing and it started being about managing a list. Yeah. And Becky comes from Credo Mobile. She, she okay. built that over the course mm -hmm. of a decade. Um, so she has this critique of we do list management where we see what emails will fly and what won't, but people need that one-on-one -on -one interaction. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot in here about how you actually respect people yeah. and how you treat them as peers in the process. You don't treat them as staff and volunteer where one is higher than the other. And the whole book, the, if it's a story of tech and platforms, it's also the story of individuals who are making sacrifices and getting involved. There was a massage therapist from Ohio who stopped taking all but the fewest clients who was just paying rent, and the rest of the time he was giving a Bernie. There was a guy, uh, Texas Zach, who led the first barn barnstorming meetings that were volunteer-run in Texas because Texas was so dispersed that they couldn't travel to all the towns. So on his own will, he called together a meeting of people who lived in that region of the state, trained them on his own, and sent them off. So a lot of this is actually about trusting people to take on the roles that usually you would hold tight. Right. And so there's political development to do, there's language to learn and all of that. But I think there's also that when you have the North Star of the cause that people are coming in for, they have a whole chapter on weeding out the, 
cranky person who's going to stand up in the meeting and pontificate. They tell the story of a guy who ate rotten vegetables during the meetings, and while he would eat, like, dirty broccoli would get flicked on the volunteers. And despite the fact that he was, like, a long-term organizer, they had to ask him to leave the campaign because Mm -hmm. I think most of us have met that person, right, that guy. And they point out it's usually a guy, it's Mm -hmm. usually a white man. and they say so much time is lost by by being liberal about allowing disruptive people into our circles yeah. when actually people want to get to work. And we need to make sure that we as the organizers create the space for them to do that. This, it's, this Again, it's day six of the Trump presidency. It and is. this is like one of the, the rays of light in my past week of just because the, the, the challenge really does seem overwhelming when you think about how big we have to get. And, for just for sustainability, yeah. but also for the scale of the problem, and, and it, the, I think that there's this perhaps false dichotomy that we give ourselves of you either have to have relationships with people and organize at a local level, or you go big, right? Um, and this gives me hope that we can figure out ways to do both, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it, are there things that they say they learned along the way that maybe they couldn't implement, but sort of mistakes that were mm-hmm. made? Yeah, I mean, I think on the volunteer side. There's a couple things they did different than the Obama campaign. They gave up formal training. Mm -hmm. They said, in the age of YouTube, people are self-taught. And so just get them working and they'll learn along the way and give them the tools that they need as they go. That's one. They also said that they could have done better at team management and like Mm -hmm. actually creating positive like work cultures amongst folks, but they were very, very, very productivity oriented. But I think the biggest one is rule number four. And the book is separated into a series of rules. I think there's like 20 of them. So so, play on rules for radicals. Yeah, Yeah. rules for revolutionaries. Um, So rule number four says fighting racism must be at the core of the message to everyone. Mm -hmm. And so this isn't fighting racism is your message to black voters. This is racism not addressing it is killing people is what the author says. Mm And so for people looking at this book or at that campaign from the Movement for Black Lives, it's like, yeah, duh. But this is sort of the we heard you moment. Like she quotes Alicia Garza. She quotes um, other black women who critiqued the campaign. And they say that you have to listen to black organizers. You have to put race at the center. And you can't have a political revolution that's not Mm anti-racist. And so... She, she goes into the section where they interrupted the candidate panel at Netroots Nation, where it was O'Malley and it was Bernie. And Bernie says, you know, of, this is when O'Malley says, yes, black lives matter, all lives matter. Mm-hmm. And Bernie says, black lives matter, but if you don't want me here, then I don't have to be here. Mm-hmm. And she says that was such a missed moment. Yeah, and she's like, it doesn't actually matter if you fought for civil rights, if you were arrested around racism, et cetera, because that's just your personal history. Yes. But what is your political program and how is that manifesting in your staff, in your Mm -hmm. practice and in your vision? And so having one of the main lessons from a presidential campaign basically be listen to the black women who are telling us how to go um, feels significant to me. Yeah, absolutely. Now, do you think that, um, I mean, it's, it's, 
it sounds very helpful in terms of, of the constant problem that we run into that people want to do work. Right? Yeah. The constant, the biggest feedback I get as an organizer is that people don't know how to plug in or they, they cannot plug in. There's totally. not space, right? But what we're often asking folks to do in the organizing that we're doing is, um, yeah, we need you to do work, but it's also a level of, of sacrifice, right? And of, of um, putting your body on the line, right? Mm-hmm. And, and a kind of agitation and disruption that especially now under Trump, you don't, I, I mean, some of the things that at once used to not involve a threat of going, getting arrest now do, sure. right? And so do you have a sense that this translate, the structure that they're proposing, the processes that they're proposing, the attitude that they're proposing, can match what we're actually needing folks to do, which is not just do phone calls, right? right. Which is not just host uh, screenings and things like that, but to actually take that next step. I think that I don't know if our organizations currently make recruitment and engagement of new people one of our centerpiece priorities. Mm-hmm. And they knew in order to achieve their goal, the primary thing that they had to do was create systems for those who wanted to, to be able to participate. And obviously it was in a much simpler formula like we're talking about, but how many of us actually spend a significant amount of our time saying, what would our organization need to do so that anyone who walks in this door who matches our mission can play a significant role in achieving it? Um, So I think from an orientation level, it's a good intervention for us. Mm -hmm. And then I think they would also say that Being this distributed volunteer network doesn't mean that anybody does anything. There's a central plan, and you move the plan, and you allow people to be part of it, but they don't hide the fact that there's a centrality to what the vision is, Mm -hmm. yeah? Like, volunteers were getting plugged into a phone bank to call these four states. That was a decision made by leadership, and then everybody else gets plugged into it, yeah? So I think... You know, we have a different mission. We have a different plan that's our task to create. And then part of the challenge that I think this book gives us is, and how can anyone who wants to participate? Or for those of us who work in like more specific constituencies, how can anyone who fits your constituency participate? Mm-hmm. At Mi Gente, we say, we're looking for the people who are looking for us. Mm-hmm. But there, there are emails that we get that are like, I love you all. I want to do this thing. And I look left, I look right, and all of us are dog tired. Yeah. And none of us have found the volunteer to be the volunteer organizer exactly. yet. And yeah. we haven't prioritized that. And I think that's what this book tells us to do. Yeah. There are systems that you can put in place, like a Slack channel, which is a group chat. It's mm-hmm. like if you use GroupMe or if you use Signal, mm-hmm. it's like Signal meets hashtags. Okay. And so it separates out your conversations. Okay. And so they have an open source Slack where if you want to be a volunteer, you're basically now in a chat room mm-hmm. with all the other volunteers and there's someone who can manage you that way. Okay. Um, so it's useful to the extent of if you're going to nerd out on what's the management style that you need to run a tech team that's going to engage 100,000 volunteers. Yeah. Um, but I think you can get the cliff notes maybe from this podcast (laughs) or from other conversations that basically say, look, we can be bigger than we are. There are people out there who are ready to work with us Mm -hmm. and we should make the task of making our base as big as the vision is that we have. And that's why I appreciate books like this, right? That are are people who are doing organizing that I might never engage in, but they're learning things that are useful and to, to write that down. I mean, this came out in November, right? Yeah. So, I mean, they must have written this... So, so fast. <laughs> Bernie loses the primary. Yeah. And Zach and Becky, the authors, realize that they just did something special. 
So they lock themselves in a room for 30 days and they write this book. Yeah, that's they amazing. didn't they didn't say what are the other books on organizing out there? What is this? Who's that author? Who are the experts? They're like Let's just write the 20 rules that we feel we learned. Yep. There's a section in here that's best practices become worst practices. Mm. This is another thing that's so true in electoral organizing, um, where someone does something once that the, the analyst institute says bumped the needle 5% or something like that. Now every campaign across yes. the country is going to knock on a door and say, you have a duty and responsibility to vote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And this says best practice becomes worst practice, mm-hmm. that you have to constantly challenge. She, she had a hero of hers come to one of her barnstorming meetings, and he was critiquing her from the start because they did the sign-up list at the end of the meeting instead of the beginning. And it was veteran organizers' habits yeah. um, about what's right and what's wrong, mm-hmm. right? I know. I mean, as I was skimming through, I was like, oh, this is one of those books that I really do just kind of have to look at what B highlighted, and that's probably exactly what I would get out of this book. So is there a part, we like to end with like a passage or a quote that really stuck out to you that you want to end on? Well, so I can't find the quote, but they basically say, do you want to take power or do you want to negotiate with power? Mm, I remember that part. We want to take power. Yeah. I mean, I think they make the argument when they look at Alinsky, when they look at social movements where they, and I saw some super critical meme the other day that was like, protest isn't an act of freedom, it's an act of appealing to power. And that was, hello, cynical world. Like, come on. Like, I don't feel like we have the room for snark that we used to anymore. Um, But what they would say is that they understand that some people have a critique of electoral power, Mm -hmm. and they're fine with that. Mm -hmm. Take from the book what you will. But they don't want to just negotiate with power, they want to take power. And they see the state as one of the terrains to contest power. And so that actually really resonated with me as someone who started to move into first the Del Valle campaign several cycles ago, but then um, cheering on the Bayanita campaign, <laughs> taking out this person and mm-hmm. punishing them for how they abuse state power. Mm-hmm. And then we looked to movements in Chile, the MPL, that says with the state, without the state, and against the state. And on all fronts, we should be fighting and contesting for power. And they would say that Bernie Sanders doesn't do that because he did that within the Democratic Party. Um, They would want to run a movement candidate from a movement, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's a good push for us as well, just like there's the push for how how are you becoming a vehicle for everyone's political aspiration to end where the areas of power that you're just not even trying to contest that you're just giving up from jump and they would say social movements have ignored electoral work for too long yeah it does feel like a a moment where I'm hearing that talked about in interesting ways and we have some examples of what that can look like that feel radical right the Mm -hmm. yeah by Nito all that well, thank you thank very you. much. It was a pleasure talking to you. So the book is Rules for Revolutionaries, How Big Organizing Can Change Everything by Becky Bond and Zach, is it Exley? Exley, E-X-L-E-Y. And this was B. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Thank Have you a good so one. much. Keep reading and keep listening.